is Cedar Hills Community Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, a place to be loved, a place to belong, and a place to serve. My name is Kent. I'm one of the staff here at the church, and I'm, I'm really glad you're here. Are you glad you're here today? Okay. Turn to someone nearby you and tell them that you're glad they're here today. Glad you're here today. We are thinking about what it means to be a disciple, but before that, I want to think about fair food. Anybody been to the fair yet? I just found that there's somebody here in this room, hard to believe, that have been in the state of Iowa over 50 years, right? And have never been to the state fair. Homework for this week, go to the fair. Okay, I want you to turn to someone around you and tell, you, tell them that if you went to the fair, what kind of food would you like to eat? Go, tell them. What kind of food would you like to try at the fair? We were at the fair this week, Thursday, and um, I ate more than I was supposed to eat. My, my blood sugar was off the charts, and, uh, but one of my favorite foods is still egg on a stick. If you go to the butter cow, just move your way down a little ways and you get a free egg on a stick. That's the best part, it's free. We are thinking about discipleship and we're using these four chairs to help us do that. And uh, we started last week by looking at a verse in 1 John 2.6, which says, Whoever claims to live in Jesus must live as Jesus did. And we figured out last week that it actually is possible for us to live like Jesus. It must be because Scripture tells us to live like Jesus. And we're going to dig a little deeper into that this week by looking at another passage in Luke chapter 24. So if you've got your Bible or your phone or whatever you're reading Scripture on, if you would open it up to Luke chapter 24, we're going to look at two verses Verses 47 and 48. Luke 24, 47 to 48. This is just after the thing that um, Joanne was telling us about, the road to Emmaus when they are walking with Jesus and they kind of reimagine what Jesus is like. And then at the very end is... Uh, great commission, very similar to the one we read in Matthew 28, but this is just a different wording of that same commission. So we'll read it together, but before I do that, um, I'm, I'm praying for you, and this is the prayer I'm praying. The Lord be with you. Luke 24, 47. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. So as we're trying to figure out what does it mean for us to live like Jesus or to live as Jesus lives, we're using these four chairs as a helpful kind of guide of this continuum. And uh, just in, in truth, this is not my idea. It came from a book called Four Chair Discipleship by Dan Spader. If you'd like to dig further into this, I highly recommend any materials written by him. It's great stuff. That's, his version of this starts with chair one, which is called the seeker. The seeker is the person who has not yet come to faith in Christ. 
They're curious, they want to know more, and so they're exploring it. And the best thing for the seeker to do is keep exploring. Keep trying to figure out who Jesus is. Read the Gospels, read, talk to other Christians, try to find that out, because their next step is going to get to the place where they say, I believe, I, I crossed this line of faith, and I put my trust in Jesus Christ so that now I'm a believer. I am a follower of Jesus. And people who are in this second chair oftentimes live their life with kind of a great enthusiasm to, to just dig into that some more, that they are new to the faith and so everything is fresh and exciting and they are eager to dig in deeper. You know, a lot of the classes that we're offering are actually really good for people who are in these first two chairs. Because if you want to know more about Jesus, then sit in a class with other people who are digging into God's Word and you'll learn it. Or if you're just new to your faith and you want to get that faith deepened, these classes are also excellent for that, but they also happen to be excellent for anybody who's in the third chair. The third chair is the believer who has been following Jesus maybe for a little while, and what they've learned to do is, is to abide in Him. I think the verse we used last week was John 15, 5, where Jesus says, if you abide in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. This is the chair where we start to see people discovering their gifts. They understand that they have a calling beyond themselves, that they want to use these gifts to serve other people so they become servants or workers in the church. But that only flows out of their abiding. The fruit comes from abiding in Jesus. If we try to serve or work without staying close to Jesus, then it, it just burns us out. We get tired, we get exhausted, we fall out. And then if we're there long enough and we keep growing, we work our way down the continuum to chair four, which is often referred to as the multiplier chair or the reproducer chair, the leader chair, that you get to the point where you recognize that all of this stuff about Jesus is just so good. You want other people to have it. You, it's too good to keep to yourself, so you want to start investing in seekers and in believers and in uh, workers to help them mature further, to grow, to grow along in their faith. And so the person who's in chair four is the person who's really invested in reproducing themselves. It's like a disciple making disciples. Now, this Like Jesus app that we're plugging has an assessment in it called the four chair assessment. And um, did Zadok take the assessment? Yes, all right. Did Hans take the assessment? Okay, so fourth graders find this intriguing and they took it. I also took it. And um, you'll be happy to know I ended up in chair four <laughs> because that's what you expect, right? Because I'm the pastor, I've been a Christian for a long time. Yeah, of course, he better be in chair four or else um, there's, there's trouble. But you know what? It, it, was, it was difficult for me to take because a lot of the questions that were in chair three and chair four were really pushing me because there were questions like this. There were questions like, have you shared Jesus with someone else? Have you invested in seeing other people come to Christ? Are you walking with someone to help them mature in their discipleship? And I'd like to go, you know, I'd like to think that I am, but I, I don't know how, how invested am I in this? Have I shared with enough people? Am I doing this as a regular part of my lifestyle? These questions on the, this end of the spectrum really challenged me, and that led me to this message today, which is going to focus on what it's like to be in these two chairs at this end of the spectrum. What are the characteristics of the person who is like that. But before I go too deep into that, I, I do want to talk about fair food again. Um, I go to the fair almost every year, and one of the reasons I go there is because of the fair food. And did you know that this year there happens to be 53 new fair foods? And in reality, there's never a new fair food. It's just a different combination of existing foods. 
So I'm going to share the three of the top new ones. The first one I've got a picture of is this one. This is called the OMG chicken sandwich. Here's the description for this sandwich. This chicken sandwich is a chicken breast that is lightly battered and covered in sugar-coated cornflakes, fried to a golden brown and served on a glazed donut. As if that wasn't enough, it's topped with bacon and drizzled with syrup. Yum, huh? Does that sound good? Okay. We ate one of the OMG chicken sandwiches at the fair on Thursday. Actually, to be fair, we split it five ways, <laughs> which is probably about the right thing. But there was something about this sandwich. You go, took a bite of it and go, I'm not sure about this. I'm going to take another bite. You, you, can, you can't help but eat this chicken sandwich. If you go there, I, I recommend. I think it's found at the chicken shed or the chicken shack or something like that. OMG chicken sandwich. Okay, next one is this. It's called pork picnic in a cup. Does that look yummy? This is a cup filled with layers of barbecue pulled pork, baked beans, creamy coleslaw, and a drizzle of barbecue sauce garnished with brown sugar pork belly. Mm, it's making my mouth water just to read that description. I, didn't, I couldn't find this, so I did not actually try the pork picnic. If any of you go to the fair this week, here's your assignment. Get a pork picnic in a cup and then report back to me if it's worth the carbs, okay? We did try this next one up here, which is called the Blue Ribbon Cobbler. Mmm, now that looks good, doesn't it? This is actually this year's creation. Uh, last year's was strawberry, and my girls disappeared, and they reappeared with one of each, a blueberry and a strawberry. The blueberry is described as made-from-scratch signature cookies with natural blueberry jam, hand-dipped ice cream, a dollop of whipped cream, and fresh blueberries. Does that sound delicious or what? My recommendation, for what it's worth, the strawberry one was way better. So if you go there and get a strawberry. Okay, here's one last thing. Look at this thing of beauty. Would you like to guess what that is? This is a Twix bar stuffed inside a Twinkie, wrapped in bacon, then deep fried and drizzled with chocolate and powdered sugar. Wow! I did not try one of these because just reading about it made my blood sugar go way up, and so I did not try it. I did, have a, I did come to a conclusion about award-winning fair food, and this is what I decided. It's not really so much about anything brand new, but it's about piling on. You take one good thing, and you pile on another good thing, and you pile on another. The more you pile on, the more likely you are to win an award at the state fair for this kind of food. Um, and then, of course, in the end, you drizzle it with chocolate and wrap it with bacon. It seems like if it's better without bacon, with, with bacon, it's better with bacon, whatever. Now, I bring this up because I find that the fair food mindset is the mindset that often cripples me when I get down to this end of the chair spectrum. Because I know, because I am the pastor and I'm a Christian for a while, I know that I am supposed to share Jesus with people. I know that I'm supposed to be a witness, as Luke described, a witness to all these things is what he said. I know that. But sometimes I get crippled trying to figure out 
what it is I'm supposed to witness to. And I oftentimes feel like I'm the guy who's supposed to take all of the truths of the Bible, all of the big ideas in theology, all the things I know about faith, and I'm supposed to pile those ingredients up in just the right mixture so that when I give it to you, you go, mmm, yum. That's exactly what I need to hear. And I feel pressure because of this, and I feel like, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can get all the truths I need to get and all of them mixed in just the right component and all of them delivered in just the way that you're going to like to swallow them. And so you know what it does? I don't share. I stop being a witness because it seems like it's too complicated. Now, what I loved about this passage in Luke 24 was that it made this uncomplicated. And I'm going to suggest that Luke is giving us four simple things to clarify what it means to be a witness to all these things. And the first thing that he says, if you're down on this end of the spectrum, is you're supposed to tell people about Jesus. That's it. That's the thing we proclaim. It's not a big theological concept. It's not a big, you know, apologetic for the faith. It's not about morality. It's not about politics. It's not about any of these things. It's about saying something about Jesus. You know, this is where we started last week. We were looking at a verse in 1 John 1, and that whole letter starts with these kind of words. It says, you know, these things that you have heard, the things that you've seen with your eyes, the thing that you've held in your hands, tell me about that. It's about this experience of Jesus. That's what these letters are about. That's what the Gospels are about. In fact, I will give a plug for Joanne's class. She's going to show this is what the whole Bible is about. It's just about Jesus and giving us a little more insight and understanding about who he is and what he accomplished. When we are down at this end of the spectrum in our chairs, we're the kind of people who give a witness to Jesus. We proclaim Jesus. Now, this is so important. I felt like it might be a good time for us to actually practice this because I'm guessing, regardless of what chair you're in here right now in this room, I'm going to guess that most of us know something about Jesus. Anything. And when we proclaim Jesus, we say it. And so I thought it would be helpful to practice. So actually what I want you to do is turn to someone near you and I want you to tell them something you know about Jesus. Okay, from the youngest who are in here to the oldest who are in here, turn to someone nearby you and tell them something you know about Jesus. Go ahead, talk right now. Okay, how did that feel, just to get a a little proclamation out about Jesus? Just something. You know, it amazes me that we are kind of reluctant to do this because we will talk about all kinds of different things and with no reluctance. You know, I just stood before you a minute ago and just, you know, confessed this gluttonous thing I did at the state fair, eating all this food. But would I stand before a group of people or would I even approach an individual, someone I love or care about and say something about Jesus? You know, one of my favorite stories about Jesus is when he talks about God's love for us. And the favorite place where I I really love the way he talked about it is in Luke chapter 15. If you know about Luke chapter 15, this is what happens there. First he tells a story about a woman, a, a poor woman who's lost a coin. And so she sweeps the entire house looking for this coin. And when she finds it, she goes, Aha! And she goes and she tells the neighbors and she says, that which was lost has been found. Let's celebrate. And then he tells a story about a guy who has a hundred sheep and he loses one out of a hundred. He leaves the 99 in a pen. He goes looking high and low for this last sheep. When he finds it, he puts it on his shoulder and he goes back, look, 
He tells all the neighbors, that which was lost I've found. And then he tells this long story about this son who insults his, fa- his father by asking for his inheritance before he, the father dies. And then he takes this wad of money and he goes to a far-off country and he spends it all on riotous living and he ends up feeding the pigs and the pig slop looks good to him and he comes to his senses and goes, I'd be better off with my father as a servant. And so he gets up and he makes up this apology and he goes back to meet his father. But before he gets there, when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he ran to him and he hugged him and he kissed him and he welcomed him back and he gave him a robe and a ring and he threw a party, called all the neighbors and said, that which was lost is found. This is what I love about how Jesus talks about God's love for us. It's like this lavish thing that we celebrate and we, we just enter into it. You think there's people who need to hear about God's love in our life? People in our family? Friends, neighbors, co-workers, classmates. If we are at this end of the spectrum, one of the things that marks us as people is we talk about Jesus. The next thing that Luke says marks us as disciples is we do this proclamation with authority. We're not wimpy about it. We're not afraid, not timid or shy about it. We, We have authority to do this. Now, confession, another thing that limits me in my proclamation is I'm often quite intimidated by this kind of overthinking process, I think. Well, who am I to talk about Jesus? What, what can I add to this? What, what authority do I have? What right do I have? Have I run the, won the right to be heard? Is the door open? Is the person going to be receptive? I go through this whole thing about, well, is now the right time? And why, my, why me? Why not somebody else? When we read this passage in Luke, we discover that Jesus says, well, it's not about you. It's not about your authority. It's about the authority that I have given to you. Listen to a couple of these passages. This one is from Luke chapter 24. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name. When we go to talk about Jesus to make this proclamation, that's not our authority. We're not going in our own power. Listen to this other great commission from Matthew 28. Jesus said, All authority has been given to me. Go make disciples of all nations. Interesting, isn't it? He has all this authority. What does he do with it? Take it. Take my authority and go. Make disciples. He's giving us his authority. Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. Where does the power for this proclamation come from? It comes from Jesus. He gives us his authority, gives us this Holy Spirit who empowers us then to go proclaim this good news. So that simplifies things for me. I don't have to overthink my role or my authority become a little bolder when I share. And who do I share with? This is his third pointer. Everyone. He says this is witnesses to be given to all nations. And this is actually the same wording that was in Matthew 28, go to all nations and make disciples. It's this vision consistent throughout Scripture of every people and every tribe and every tongue hearing the gospel. 
And when I think of this, I think of that Acts 1-8 kind of symmetrical circles working out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. I think that these people I'm supposed to reach is everyone everywhere, but I started at home. My own family, my own kids, family members, my neighbors, people who live across the street from me, the community, the city, the state, country. I mean, it just keeps expanding that we should be prepared to to reach the whole world by sharing this story about Jesus Christ. This helps me get a little bit unstuck. And again, I'm still processing what this all means for me, but as I was doing that, I was thinking about how freely I share so many things in my life. So I've had a couple things this summer that I'm like telling everybody about. Have I told you yet about Top Gun Maverick? If I have not yet told you, you're the few, because I'll tell anybody, man, I love that movie. Actually, Gary and I had a staff meeting at Top Gun Maverick, just to be truthful about it. And, man, I, I guess I'm a geek, airplane geek, but the footage and this thing and the storytelling and the songs and, man, if you haven't gone to Top Gun Maverick yet, go. <laughs> I highly recommend it. Very entertaining. Um, so I'm telling everybody about that. But then, and then, of course, you know, we went to Alaska. Whew, I showed you slides from there last week, some really good ones. Since we got back, I've already had another bucket list thing. I went to this thing called uh, Thunderstruck over the Iowa Speedway. Anybody else hear about this? Oh, I wish you all would have gone there with me. I met my brothers there in Newton at the Speedway, and there was a, a massive fireworks display, and I'm not exaggerating this. They shot off fireworks for two straight hours. You have never seen fireworks like this. And these are a bunch of pyrotechnic geeks. They're having a convention, and they're like experimenting with stuff. It's like stuff you've never seen before. And it was like the whole place was shaking, and the sky, as far as you could see, was filled. I can't even describe it. And I'm happy to tell you all about this fireworks display. And anybody who... I told the guys at Taco John's about the fireworks display. Okay? Why don't we talk to, about Jesus like this? Why do we hold back? I don't know. I'm trying to figure out why that is. Because Luke seems to be very clear that if we are growing as a disciple, we live down here, and that means we talk about Jesus with authority to anybody and everybody all the time. And it seems like he addresses maybe one final hurdle that we have because it's the question about what, well, what really do we, are we trying to get to? What's the point we're trying to, what message are we going to leave with people? And he says very clearly in here, you talk about forgiveness. This is what you proclaim. That with repentance comes forgiveness. That's what Luke said. This is the message. Do you know anybody who needs to hear this message? can't tell you how many people I know who struggle with guilt, who wrestle with doing the right thing and feel like failures and they feel like they can't do well enough and they need forgiveness and they want to hear a message of forgiveness. Now, if we're going to live like Jesus, Jesus did this ridiculously. He talked about it and demonstrated it constantly, that God forgives sinners. He was all about this, his whole ministry. And this actually came 
and butted up against some of the other religious people that he had to deal with. Do you remember the story about the woman caught in adultery? Another one of the great moments, if you're going to tell a story about Jesus, there's a woman who got caught in adultery somehow, and a bunch of religious leaders figured it out, and so they drugged this woman out into the public square, and they stood her before everyone else, and they said, this woman deserves to be condemned for her sinfulness. You know what the consequence of adultery was in that day? Stoning. We should stone this woman. And they drag her out in the public square in front of everybody else, condemning her every step of the way. They bring her to the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you think we should do? This woman has committed adultery. She deserves judgment. You know what Jesus did? He does this odd thing where he doesn't say anything to them. He stoops down and he starts writing stuff in the dirt. And I imagine everybody's really curious about what's he doing there's a whole bunch of speculation about the kind of thing Jesus wrote in the dirt. I tend to favor the theory that what Jesus was writing in the dirt was he was writing other sins, the other things that people could do that deserve judgment. And the story goes that as Jesus is writing, the people who brought this woman start looking at it, and they're scratching their heads, and then pretty soon they from the older, wiser ones to the younger, foolish ones, they all start to drift away one by one. And you know why I think it happened that way? Because they're looking at that list and they're like going, oh, I've done that. I deserve to be judged. I, can, I deserve condemnation for the thing I've done. And this continues until everybody's gone except Jesus and the woman. And Jesus says, you know, where'd they go? Where are your accusers? And the woman says they're all gone, and Jesus says, well, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. This is the message we bring to a world desperately seeking forgiveness. In Jesus, there's forgiveness. So we talk about Jesus, and we do it with authority, with courage, in the power of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we share it with everybody who, had, who we can listen to, everyone, everywhere, and we tell them, there's forgiveness for you too. This is what Luke is getting at when he says, you are witnesses of all these things. So now you might want to think about next steps. I don't know. Uh, first of all, regardless of where you might be in these chairs, I would invite you to take the, the four-chair assessment that's in the app. So go download, like Jesus, click on the four-chair assessment, and it'll give you some clue as to where you might find yourself on the scale. And you can also talk to other people, people who care about you, people who know you, and kind of find that out. If you're down on this end, and you're still exploring Jesus, trying to figure that out, maybe your next step is to say, I, I trust Jesus. Man, anybody who has that much sense of God's love for us, I'm going to follow him. And you cross the line of faith. Maybe if you're in this chair, you say, I'm going to go deeper. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to read the Gospels. Maybe get in a small group. Maybe join one of these classes that's coming up next week. Or if you're down here on this end, maybe you're trying to figure out, how do I talk about Jesus more? How can I get more uh, traction in proclaiming Jesus with authority so people hear about God's love and forgiveness? Maybe you can explore some of that. Um, I am thrilled. It always, it geeks me out when you all 
at least start to grasp a little bit of what we're talking about here because this is so important. We're trying to get crystal clear on what it means to be a disciple. And I heard that there was a couple small groups this week that met and they got into a little bit of a discussion. And the discussion they got into was the discussion about uh, whether or not you can move back and forth from these chairs. Do you, is it all moving this way or do you sometimes slip back into one of these chairs? And I guess they had quite an engaging discussion. I haven't heard what they said. We're actually going to dig into that very question next week. So I invite you to come back for more on how we live in these four chairs. But I thought I should give you a little clue about how the movement might happen with these chairs. And I'll do that by telling you about another one of my favorite fair foods. So for years, hands down, my favorite thing to eat when I went to the fair, and every time I, we go there, pork chop on a stick. If you go to the pork producer's tent, they got this, I don't know what they do to these pork chops, but they're the most delicious pork chops on the planet. So I always get one of those. This year, we came in a different entrance to the fair, so we were starting in a different pathway, and lo and behold, one of the very first things we came across was the pork chop on a stick tent. And it was, it was only 9.30 in the morning, and, um, but there was no line. So my people egged me on, go get your pork chop now. So I'm eating a pork chop before 10 o'clock in the morning on Thursday. And it wasn't nearly as good as it usually was. Someone else had told us, of all the foods at the fair, the thing you need to do is the hot beef sundae. Sounds yummy, doesn't it? The Cattlemen's Association has a stand, and we went and got hot beef sundaes, and I have a new fair favorite. I'm going to skip the pork chop completely and go right to the hot beef sundae. This is to answer the question, is there movement on these chairs? You come back next week and you can hear the rest of that story. But I want to say a prayer of thanks to God for being here. Dear Lord God, thank you for meeting us this morning. I thank you for these good people and for their desire to grow, for their interest in discipleship, for their love for Jesus. And God, we are the kind of people who do want to grow better and better in our walk with you. So God, send your Holy Spirit down upon us and empower us to grow to be more like Christ. Thank you, God, for those who are watching online. And God, for those who weren't able to come here today, I pray that you'll encourage and inspire them today also to hear about your love, your goodness, and your forgiveness, your grace. God, we pray a special measure of grace upon anyone who might be struggling today with various challenges. We know that their life can be tough. We know that those are facing uh, deep loss, loss of loved ones, people who are grieving today. God, bring them comfort. We know that there are people who are hurting today, that physically they're in pain, they're recovering from something, or they're anticipating surgery, they're dealing with a bad diagnosis. God, we pray for those who might need a special hand upon them. God, we, we lift up Chrissy before you, we lift up Kathy, we lift up Pat, and Pat, and we lift up uh, others, God, who we know and care about, who need a special touch of your healing, come near them. God, others who might be wrestling today because of a challenged relationship, a uh, need to reconcile, a need to build a bridge to a, a child, to a spouse, to a sibling, to a coworker. God, help us build those bridges. And God, 
Help us to know that you are there with us always, that you never leave us or forsake us. For those who are feeling lonely or alone, abandoned or betrayed, God, come near to them. God, for others who are wrestling with various challenges, meet them where they're at. God, we pray for our church and for our denomination, for other Christians around the world that we're part of this giant body, your kingdom. We pray, God, that we would be instruments in bringing your kingdom, that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven more and more, and God, use us to accomplish that. We look forward to next week and the excitement that comes with kicking off a new season. Bless those who've already agreed to uh, serve, to volunteer, to teach, to help in classrooms, to lead small groups. God, we pray for the hearts of the students that are going to come, that they'll be ready and prepared. God, bless our, our celebration next weekend. Thank you, God, that we can come to you, and we know that you're always there, ready to listen, ready to respond. And for that reason, we give thanks, and we pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to support the ministry of Cedar Hills, visit www.cedarhillscr.org.